you have a Bible, though, let's open up to Matthew chapter 19. And I, and I hope and I pray that no one thinks I'm singling anybody out. Um, but as a pastor, you know, I'd have to say like maybe the last, uh, the last four months especially, but, um, you know, recently just many marriages have been hit. You know, there's a, I can give you a list of probably about 10 families. Families, okay? Think of that word family, mom, dad, kids, whose families are falling apart. And it just, man, as a pastor, it breaks your heart. You know, you guys know that family in in many ways is the fabric of society. How are the kids going to make it without dad there anymore? Without mom there anymore? You know, before government was instituted, before the church was instituted, there was family. And the Bible says, and we're going to read it today, that he made them male and female, and he made them one. And the Bible says, and we're going to see it today, that what God has joined together, let not man separate. And so it's important for us, you know, as, 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 as a church, you know, to know the importance of marriage, to know the importance of family, and to do everything we can, everything we can, because one day we're going to lift up our hands before God and we're going to have to see whether or not those hands are clean or they're dirty or they're filled with blood. Was I the instrument? Was I the vessel that ruined the family? And you're going to stand before God and you're going to give an account and some people will die and go to hell because they did not want to repent. This is important. This is the fabric of society. Please don't think I'm trying to single anyone out because, man, last night I was in my garage, I was on my knees, and I was praying, and I was crying, I was weeping because there are so many families that are struggling. I had to call my pastor and I said, Pastor, what's going on? And he said, It's the days that we live in. The church is not really the church. Some people in the church. They're, they're wolves in sheep's clothing. Some people in the church, they're not really living for God. They're not submitted to his word. They're doing whatever they want. They think that their calling in life is to be happy. That's not your calling, my friend. My friend, your calling is to be holy because one day you're going to give an account and you're going to stand before God. You know, husbands leaving their wives. You know, the, this pastor, he he, 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 was, he was in the process of leaving his wife. And, you know, it, it was, there was no biblical grounds. He just wasn't happy. And so, you know, one day, as this is going on, he's, he's you know, hooking up, he's lining everything up to be with the secretary at, at the church. And so his family knows what's going on. They see that dad's leaving, husband's leaving the family. So one day, uh, he, the dad gets a phone call from his son. He says, Dad, can I talk to you? And so Dad says, sure. He goes home. He opens the front door. His son is sitting there with a gun to his head, and he kills himself in front of his father. His father did that to him. Listen, I'm not messing around here. God takes this very seriously. And what I want to do is I want to share with you a heavy message. I mean, I don't know. You know, you know me, usually I like to laugh a little bit. I, I firmly believe that God gave us tickle spots for a reason. I think he likes it when we laugh and when we smile. 
But man, my heart is heavy. My heart is breaking. I'm dying inside as a pastor because I see so many things that are not right. And so it's not about what I think. It's about what does God think and what does the Bible say about this? And so what I want to do is I want to begin in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 19. And I want to share with you just a few studies on marriage. Now, you know, after today, some of you might be like, well, I'm not going to go back next week because he's going to talk about marriage again. But man, I'm begging you, hang in there, hang in there. If you're here today and you're a single person, you know, you might think, well, this isn't applicable to me. Oh, it is very applicable to you because you got to, you know, look forward to these things about marriage. Unless you have the gift of singleness, one day God is going to bring the right man, a godly man into your life or a godly woman according to his timing. You know, and, and if you're here and, and you're a single person, you know, my prayer is that God would get a hold of all of our hearts, like all the marriages would be right, husband and wife, and the single people too. You know, you can't be a single person here and just like all you want to do is get married. That's your God. You want to get married. Now listen, if you're not living, serving the Lord with joy as a single person, then you're not going to be living, serving the Lord with joy as a married person because uh, no person on earth will fill the void within your heart. Only God can, and God can do that while you're single. And then one day as you're seeking the Lord and as you're doing the right thing and you're kind of climbing that mountain to seek after God, you're going to find someone else who's doing the exact same thing. And it's not the flesh and it's not the enemy and there's no question or ambiguity about it. It's God bringing you the one that he made for you. So, you know, understand, single people, it's applicable to you as well. And not only that, you know, you give counsel to your friends and you're going to tell them that are married sometimes, well, this is what the Bible has to say about marriage. And so, you know, as we start this study, number one, it's important to realize that we're going to see when Jesus was questioned about marriage, he, he used God's word, the Bible, as his authority, Okay. So it doesn't necessarily mean that we can't glean good principles or maybe some counsel from other books, but we need to know that there's no book like the Bible. There's no book like the Bible, and every counsel and every word we hear from anyone or anything else must be tested according to the Scriptures. Now, we're going to see here in Matthew 19 that Jesus uses God's Word as His authority, and and something else that's really important is as he is directed the questions about his day, what he does is he takes that question back to the day that marriage was first instituted. It was 4,000 years before this question was asked. We're going to see it in Genesis chapter 2, the origin or the original marriage. And so um, here in Matthew chapter 19, notice what we read in verse 1. It says, Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these sayings that he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And great multitudes followed him and he, and he healed them there. You know, and I just love Jesus. I just, you know, man, to, to follow Jesus, you know, and, and, and as they're following him, you know what he's doing? He's healing them. 
He's healing them, you know? And some of them, you know, maybe it's a knee like our brother Robert here, he's getting healed. Or maybe it's like the, the heart surgery my brother William had last week and he's getting healed. I've seen people get healed of cancer and fevers and headaches and this guy couldn't walk. I've seen people get healed. But you know what else he heals? He heals your heart. You know, as you're going through hard times in life and who knows what you went through when you were a kid, you know, how much you were put down by, you know, your siblings or maybe even your parents or you were abused by someone and your heart is broken, you're dying inside. Jesus heals us. That's what he's doing here is healing these people. But unfortunately, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, they kind of didn't like him. And so it says in verse 3 that the Pharisees also came to him, testing him. And they said to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he answered and he said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then, Jesus says, they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. And they said to him, well, why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put him away, put her away? And he said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning, in other words, from God's heart, it was not so. And I say to you, and Jesus says right here, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual morality and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. See, in Jesus' day, there were two schools of thought. There was the liberals, there were the liberals, and they were the ones that said, you can kind of get divorced for any reason. It's not really a big deal. You know, and they would do it flippantly, they would do it nonchalantly. Believe it or not, the, the, the rabbis, uh, the liberal rabbis taught if your wife burned your food, you know, she burned your toast, you could divorce her. You know, if she spoke too loud, you could divorce her. If she spinned around like Julie Andrews in The Sound of Music, she could divorce her. Um, if, uh, if you found someone uh, younger or thinner or prettier, you could divorce your wife. There, there was a liberal school of thought, you know, and, and all they had to do was write a certificate of divorce. You didn't even have to go down to the notary. You didn't have to go see an attorney. All you do is go down to city gates. You write it down. Or in the Jewish culture, all you had to do is say it three times. I divorce you. I divorce you. I divorce you. And it's done. There, there were those that had the liberal thought, kind of like some people today. There is no fear of God. If I were you, I would fear God. Because you're going to stand before him one day and give an account of why you ruined your family. You did. There was a liberal thought that has crept into the church. Jesus said it's because of the hardness of your heart. You don't know what love is. But then Jesus said there was a, there was a biblical thought, another school of thought. Again, by far the minority. It definitely wasn't the concept of the Grecian culture, the Roman culture, but it was the biblical culture, and it was that God's commandment on the matter is that what God has joined together, let not man separate. 
You know, that was God's heart. The only exception is if your spouse commits adultery. Now, if your spouse commits adultery, maybe they'll repent. Maybe you should fight for your family. Maybe your kids are worth it. Maybe God's glory is worth it. But that takes time. You have to work through all those issues. But if you go get a divorce and your spouse has not been unfaithful, then you are out of the will of God. That's what he's saying right here. The only exception right there in verse 9, and I say to you, notice this, This is the words of Jesus. In my Bible, they're read. Whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and and marries another. I mean, you got some guys, and I've seen it over the years, you guys. I mean, it goes back years. I remember this one guy. He wasn't even divorced with his wife yet. He hadn't even filed for divorce yet. And he was already lining up some check. That's exactly what he's saying right here. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual morality and marries another commits adultery. And as they marry the other person, they are living in constant fornication and they won't go to heaven. This is heavy stuff. Heavy stuff. Because the Bible says... That, that no fornicator will enter the kingdom of God in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5. This is the same Greek word, porneo, where we get our word pornography. And so what he's giving is a clear warning to us. You know, right here, basically what I'm trying to share with you guys is that marriage is holy. It's sacred matrimony. You don't just get divorced you know, uh, at the turn of a dime. I mean, this is something that if your spouse is unfaithful to you or, or 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it says in, in, that, that they leave you, then you're free. But until then, when you stood before whoever it was and, and Jesus didn't say, well, let me ask you a question. Where did you get married? Was it at a synagogue? He didn't ask them that because it doesn't matter if you got married at a drive-by wedding in Las Vegas. It doesn't matter if it was in the courthouse of L.A. or the the desk of some little pastor in some room right there. When you said, I do, you made a vow to God. And at that moment in time, God took two lives and he made them one. And what he's trying to say is that it's a holy vow. It's sacred matrimony. Imagine what will happen to a society. Imagine what will happen to a culture who takes marriage and devalues it. Imagine what happens to the kids. Imagine what happens to these people. And so what he's saying is, listen, this is how much I value marriage. And that is binding. And what you're going to find and what I found in life is that you go through hard times because marriage is hard. You know, you got two people who are sinners. Uh, they say that marriage is a perpetual test of character. You know, and, and, and sometimes it's, it's, it's hard but you work your way through those seasons and you love unconditionally and you, you, know, you seek the Lord and you plow through it and then as you get through those difficult times, what you find is true love because true love is not loving someone because they got it all together. True love is loving someone even though they're not la- that lovely. True love is the love of God who loved us while we were his enemies and was nailed to a cross to die for us. This is the love that a man must have for his wife. 
The Bible says it so clearly. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and died for her. See, this is how, how important marriage is. This, you can't just get a divorce for you know, irreconcilable differences. I mean, nowadays you can go to court and you can put no fault. It's nobody's fault. You know, I, I said I do, but now I'm done. And then you enter into another marriage and you're in fornication and statistics say that that marriage even has less of a chance of surviving. I mean, you know, I want to go to Genesis, but on the way there, I want to go to Malachi. So turn left if you would. And it's just the, the last book in the Old Testament. In Malachi chapter 2, in verse 13, the Lord is he's dealing with even the leaders of Israel. And he says, and this is the second thing you do. Uh, You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying. So he does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. In other words, uh, imagine being in a place where God does not hear your prayer. And And then he says, well, why? Verse 14, why? For what reason? And this is what God says, because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously. Yet she is your, your companion and your, and your wife by, by covenant. You know, one of the problems with some marriages is there, it's not a covenant, it's a contract. If you treat me right, I'll treat me right. If you love me, I'll love me. If you're nice to me, I'll be nice to you. If you're committed, I'll be committed. And I hear it all the time. It's not fair. It's not right. It's not just. It's because you're in a contract. You're not in a covenant. When I made a covenant, you know, before God to to love my wife, it, it was a covenant with him. And then it was a covenant with her. You know, she's my companion now. She's my compa, you know, I mean, we, we go through life together. And, you know, I was telling her today, I said, man, I'm so grateful that I married you. And she said, why? And I told her, because you're not a lemon. <laughs> I mean, you have just turned out to be the one for me. You want, and you want to know why? Because it was God who put us together. And along the way, we are not perfect. But, man, God has done a work. She's my companion that's what he's saying right here. But, but, but these guys, God wasn't hearing their prayer. You know, it's already a scary thing. Definitely allusion to 1 Peter chapter 3. It says, husbands, if you don't treat your wife right, your prayers will be hindered. That's kind of what he's saying right here. Why, Lord, I don't get it. Well, it's because you haven't really been a good husband. You have dealt treacherously with your wife. And then look what the Lord says in verse 15. But, but did he not make them one? I mean, we just read about that. Having a remnant of the Spirit. And why one? He seeks godly offspring. That's your kids. I mean, there's no greater joy than when our kids serve the Lord. But if you're going to go leave your wife, if you're going to go leave your husband, if you're going to go to div- get a divorce that's unbiblical, you're ruining your kids. 
How are they going to serve the Lord, man? You made them stumble. God made them one because he wants godly offspring. Who suffers? You know, the selfishness of a man, the selfishness of a woman, causing them to get a divorce, and what happens to the kids? When God instituted the family, the fabric and fiber of the world, what he was doing is saying they need a dad and they need a mom and they need them there every day. Why one? Because he seeks godly offspring, and therefore he gives them a warning again. That take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce, for it covers one's garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. I mean, you know, for some, it's not over yet, you guys. This is God's call to say, hey, you know, get things right. Do things God's way. Sometimes I'll be talking to, you know, couples, and I'm, again, I'm talking about maybe 10 couples right now that we're, t- what we're dealing with. And we've been fasting and praying, and then all of a sudden, these things are rising to the surface. You want to know why? Because God's cleaning house. This church is going to be pure. And if there's sin in the camp, then he's going to deal with it. You know, if you're here today and you're, you're living together, but you're not married, listen, we love you. We want you to give your life to Christ and go to heaven when you die. But, but, but man, you need to get that right too, you know? You need to talk to a pastor and say, hey, what do I need to do? And sometimes the best thing to do is separate and, you know, seek the Lord and then get married. Other times, you know, we'll do it right there, man. We say, hey, okay, go get your license, man. We'll do it on Wednesday, you know, after well, we're having lunch. I mean, we'll, we'll get you guys hooked up, man, so that you're not living in sin because God can't bless sin. He can't. And so, you know, God's cleaning house. Things are rising to the surface. And he's going to he's gonna, he's gonna skim off the dross. My prayer, I love you guys, man. Understand, I, I may be a little worked up, but it's because I love you. And I want God to make us a pure church. I, God wa- I want God to make us a holy church. I want him to make us a church that he can bless. Because he can't bless secret sin. You know, you got that guy over there, he's looking at pornography. It's just crazy, the, the depths of pornography now. You know, and all these things, I, I, I talk to guys, I talk to gals all the time. And this study has been stirring up in my heart for a long time, you know, because we need to do this as married couples and as single people. We need to know what the Bible has to say about it. Because, you know, not only do I want God to to bless the church, but I want you to be blessed. You know, I want one day when you stand before God for you not to be ashamed and to have clean hands. And so, all that by way of introduction, (laughs) let's go to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. One of the things that you'll notice as we go through just a few studies on marriage 
is that it's not complicated or sophisticated in the sense that there's only a handful of core scriptures that God wants us to hold on to, basic truths to live out in humility and love, and when you do, God will bless your life. You know, and so most of you probably know that Genesis 1 and 2, it chronicles the creation of everything. And so as you read the account, you'll notice that uh, when he goes through the creation that he keeps saying over and over again, you know, that it was good. For example, in chapter 1 of Genesis in verse 4, and God saw the light that it was good and God divided the light from the darkness. And then if you go down to verse 10, and God called the dry land earth and the gathering together of the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. How many of you guys like the beach? It's beautiful, huh? God said it's good, right? In verse 12, and the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. You know, we see it again in verse 18, and God saw that it was good. In verse 21, God created the sea creatures, every living thing that moves with which the waters are bounded according to their kind, every winged bird. I mean, aren't, do you guys ever check out the saltwater fish? They're beautiful, huh? Or sharks or whales or whatever. They're pretty too. The birds that fly, I mean, all those God made, it says according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. We see it again in verse 25. God saw that it was good. We even see in verse 31, then God saw everything that he had made. Indeed, it was very good. And so everything God's making, obviously, is going to be good. But then, notice what we read in chapter 2, if you would. Look at verse 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. And so, it's kind of funny because, you know, everything's good. Um, and the sin hasn't even entered the world yet. But now God identifies something that's not good. We don't know how long it's been. You know, maybe it's been a week, maybe a month. Who knows? Maybe it's been longer. But suddenly in the right time, God says, now it's no longer good for that person to be alone. You know, I don't know, I don't know if you're here and you're a single person, you're thinking, it's now. <laughs> you know, I'm single, Lord, and it's now. You know, but, but be careful with that, you know, because, you know, God knows when you're ready and when that person is ready and when the right time is. Not only that, you know what's interesting is he said it's not good before sin entered the world. And you're like, well, how can that happen? Well, it must all be part of God's plan. Well, how could it be part of God's plan that I would be lonely? And the answer is because it was during those early years where Adam established a relationship with God. It was in those early years that he cultivated the first and most important relationship of all. And that is that you and I, we must, before we can ever think of having any type of marital relationship, there has to be a relationship with God that is strong, that is rooted, that is grounded, that knows the word. And so there was this period of time in which Adam established his relationship with God. And like I said earlier, you know, um, a lot of times we think, well, the answer is to get married and then I'll be happy. No, be happy. You gotta, if you're not happy and joyful in, in being single, then it's not going to happen. When you get married, it's going to be worse. 
That person will never satisfy the void that you have inside of you. That void within you can only be filled by the love of God because he's the only one who will never, ever fail you. Your spouse, whoever it is, I don't care how good they are, they will come short. And that's why your joy, your love, your life needs to be rooted first in a relationship with God, right? And I've told you guys the only worst thing then, then being single and wanting to be married is being married and wanting to be single. And I talk to people even today after service and my heart just broke for them because they're in relationships. Now, at first it wasn't like that, but now the truth has come and they're so sorry for what they've done and they're suffering. And so, you know, first thing, it's not good. Why did Adam have to go through the not good, so to speak? Is because, number one, God was establishing his relationship with Adam. And then number two is he was establishing his need for human companionship. Apparently, a time of aloneness was necessary for the man to acknowledge his need for a mate and his need for a comparable companion, Right? We read that in Malachi 2, verse 14. That's who she is, the wife of your youth. She is your companion and your wife by covenant. And so um, Warren Wiersbe said, we all need tough times of solitude, but nobody can be independent. Life is tough enough, even when we have friends to encourage us, what would it be like if we had to do it alone? And so there's this Adam's isolation, which then leads to God's solution. And we read it there in verse 18. Notice again, if you would, in verse 18, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. You know, my wife and I, we've been married since 1992, man, and she's come a long way. No, I'm just joking. It's been a... It has been such a blessing, man. And I, the way that, that we got married, and I've told you guys, I think, the story before is, you know, I saw her across the room, and I told my friend I'm going to marry her even before I ever met her. And I wouldn't encourage that, you know, normally. That's not how it works. You know, but, but you know what they say? Time is kind of like a lot of times the test of all things. And I, now, you know, all these years later, I know she is the one for me. Is it because she's perfect? No, it's because she's perfect for me. You know, it's because when we got together, you know, we decided to try to do things God's way. You know, we tried, we decided, you know, because when we first got saved, we went to a new believers class and we studied marriage and I'll never forget the teacher. He told us marriage can be described in one word. And, you know, what's one word that you think of for marriage? You know, we probably say love or, or Jesus. You know what they put on the board? Death. <laughs> Death. Shelly and I are looking at each other. You know, we took it twice. What does that mean? It means death to self. Isn't that love? And so since the beginning, we, we, we tried to do things God's way. You know, it doesn't mean we, we didn't sin, but we tried not to live in persistent, consistent, insistent sin because that'll ruin a marriage. You can't make, say, well, that counts. We tried, and you never tried. 
You never tried unless you really did things God's way and you took up your cross and you denied yourself. You can lift up clean hands and you can say, I've done that for a season of my life. And so I know she's the one God made. I mean, Adam's isolation was then, you know, identified as this human companionship where God would heal this thing. And the plan is in verse 11, I love it. He says, I will make him a helper comparable to him. It was a perfect you know, mate, it was a perfect helper. And so in verse 19, it says, Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the air, and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. And so Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And so I think all of that is kind of like there. It's not random. I believe it's there establishing the fact, number one, that he needed to have a divine relationship with God, but then there was a need for a human companionship. And so, you know, all the animals go by, and none of them are the right ones, obviously. And not only that, but he sees Mr. and Mrs. Zebra, Mr. and Mrs. Uh, you know, Bear, Mr. and Mrs. You know, whatever, and he's like, wait a minute, what about me, Right? And so, um, you know, as he's going through this thing, God is establishing that, and God says, I'm going to make him someone. And God, it says in verse 19, he, he made him someone. I'm sorry, verse 21. And the Lord God, here it is, he caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs, and he closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And so here's the thing, you guys. When they asked Jesus about marriage, he took them to the Bible. When they asked Jesus a question about marriage, he took them to the original marriage, to the origin of marriage. And he says, this is what you've got to understand. That, that there was a time when Adam was alone and, and, I, and I made him someone for him. And what, what it was is was Adam was asleep and he was in a deep sleep and God reached into the side and there's no word in the Hebrew language, there's no word for rib. It literally means I reached in to the closest place of his heart. I reached into the closest place of his heart and I brought out this, we'll call it a rib, and then I fashioned into a woman, and I brought her to the man. I mean, it's just a beautiful thing of what marriage is, what, what husband, your wife is to you, what God has done. And so, you know, you look at that, and you're wondering, well, why did he do it that way? And I think it's, it's just a beautiful way of us understanding that God initiated the work, how God, you know, made the woman from the man. You know, again, it's interesting to me. I like what Matthew Henry said, the woman was not made of, uh, of a rib out of the side of Adam, not out of his head to rule over him or out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected and near his heart to be loved. 
I mean, to me, when you see the beauty of the language here, God is conveying a message to us that I, I did the work. What did Adam do? Adam didn't even bust a move. Huh? I mean, you can't, because a lot of you here like, well, you know, my, my cousin, man, she hooked us up, you know, or we met, you know, here, and some people meet on, you know, different places, you know, and, and I guess you can say whatever it is. And sometimes even people say, well, it, it was a mistake, you know. It was God. It was God. The fundamental truth, the foundational truth about your marriage that's most important to understand is what God has joined together. Let not man separate. Because the moment you begin to ebb away at that foundational truth, oh, it wasn't really God and we never really loved each other. What do you mean you never really loved each other? Are you telling me that love is a feeling? Because if love is a feeling, understand this, feelings come and go. You don't know what true love is. Love is loving when the feelings aren't there. Love is unconditionally, sacrificially seeking someone else's highest good. Love was demonstrated for us on a cross. It's not a feeling. It's not infatuation. It's not puppy love. It's agape love. It's divine love. Why? Because the one thing that God did was he brought her to you. He brought him to you and he said, Here, all I want you to do is love her. Because I made her for you. What God has joined together. And then we begin to question that. While it wasn't really God, you're ebbing away at the foundational truth. The more you realize that it's God, the more you, you dive in. You're like, okay, this is God. It was a plan, you know, before time began. He reached into my heart and he custom made someone for me. You know, it doesn't mean that I like, you know, everything, you know, because my wife, sometimes she'll correct me. You know, and I'm like, I don't like that. <laughs> but I, I need it. I need it. I'm surrounded by so many guys that love me and they're real slow to correct me. She's not like that, man. <laughs> but I thank God for her because that's exactly what, what, what we need. You know, I, uh, uh, sometimes, you know, uh, you know we'll, we'll have our disagreements and she, she just makes it so easy for me. She just says, apologize. <laughs> and I just say, um, for what? <laughs> And she just says, apologize. And I just say, okay. You want to know why? Because with me, I love God. I'm not a perfect man, but I love God. And I know the number one thing he's called me in my whole life to do is to love her. That's why I can't stand it when things are not right with us. I mean, it, if anything's not right, it's an awful feeling inside of me, and I try to make it right as soon as I can. But what ends up happening in some marriages is some things are not right and you learn to live with it. Next thing you know, you let the sun go down on your wrath. Next thing you know, you drifted apart and you used to be soulmates. Now you're just roommates. Next thing you know, you go find someone else. And God brought her to you. You know, it was all God. It wasn't Adam. It wasn't Eve. It wasn't, 
you know, Uncle, Uncle Fred or anything. It was, it was God. And, and so when Adam saw it in verse 23, he was so excited. He says, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. In the Hebrew language, it's ish and isha. In the Hebrew language, what it means is I'll never forget the fact that by her name, I'm always reminded that, that we're the same, that we're one, that we're together. And so when Adam saw this happen, it says in verse 24, this is all what God has done. So now this is the mission. This is the application. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. See, as a result of you know, God doing this work and Adam acknowledging it was God, that then the application is so simple. It just says, what I want you to do now is I want you to leave and I want you to cleave. And so you understand that that's the foundational truth. It's like a, a, you know, going digging deep down and, you know, this crazy foundation so you can build a skyscraper so that your life, your marriage, it won't just survive, it'll thrive. You'll be everything that God wanted you to be, Right? And so you, you leave and, you know, father and mother and what that means is all of the relationships become secondary at best. You begin a new family. You know, you don't let the friends come in and interfere or the in-laws, also known as the outlaws. You got to be careful with that, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, you leave and I'm not saying you can't have relationships with them, but there is an inner circle now that, that, that you establish husband, wife, kids, right? And that inner circle there, no one penetrates it. And, you know, you don't put them before your spouse and you don't make decisions that would bless them and not your family. Your family now is a family. You know, I never had a family growing up. I never did. But when I became a Christian, I said, I want to do things God's way. Some people, they continue the vicious cycle that they were born in, that they were brought up in, and they don't break the chains. Because they don't want to do things God's way. But we're not bound by that. We're not, we don't experience a generational curse. No, God can, can make things new and you, and you leave and, and then what you do is you cleave. And that word in the Hebrew language says you and your wife are now glued together. You're not two anymore, you're one. That's how God sees you. And, and you spend the rest of your life getting closer. That's what you do for the rest of your life. You, know, you learn everything about her. What makes her smile? What makes her cry? What breaks her heart? You learn everything about her. And I tell you what, when I, I love to see my children smile. They don't know it. I love to hear them, see them with joy in their face. I love it. God wants me to be the instrument to put a smile on my wife's face so that one day when she stands before God and I stand before God and we're giving account, she'll say, I was happy. I was blessed that I married that man. You leave and you cleave. I know what my wife likes. She likes massages. She likes chocolate. She's had her struggles. We've had our struggles. We've worked through them. 
If it were not for Jesus Christ and his word, we would not be married. But now here we are, you know, 26 years later, and it is the best years of my life. And some of you here, you've been married for a long time. Thank you. Thank you for being an example to us. I'm sure you went through hard times, but you worked your way through it and you kept your eyes on the Lord. And you're an example to the church. Unfortunately, what happens a lot of times is people get a divorce and they drag Jesus' name through the mud. I mean, it's one thing if, like we said earlier, if your spouse was unfaithful and you did everything you could to to work it out and you can lift clean hands. I'm not trying to condemn you. I'm just talking about those who don't really acknowledge the sacredness of holy matrimony. And so what do we do? We leave and, and we cleave. And notice what happens in verse 24, and they shall become one flesh. And they're both naked, the man and his wife, and, and they were not ashamed. And this right here, it speaks of unity, you know. It's so cool when you're on the same page, you're working through life together. God's giving you the same heart, the same heartbeat. It takes time to get there. It takes love to get there. It takes sacrifice to get there. It takes death to self to get there, but you can get there. And you're one, not only in a positional sense, but in a practical sense. And then you become one flesh. You know, you're naked. And what's that talking about? That's talking about sexual intimacy. And let me tell you something about sexual intimacy. Because a lot of times, you know, guys will say, well, yeah, she doesn't want to, you know, be intimate with me. Why not? Oh, it's her. And it's not, no, it's not like that. You know, you've got to romanticize her. You've got to make her, bring her to a place where she wants that in your marriage. Because sexual intimacy is a reflection of your relationship. It's not your relationship, but it's a reflection of it. So if she doesn't want to be with you, you know, maybe there's a reason. See, you guys got to work through these things because it's a very important part of your marriage. And so, you know, the man is woman. They're naked. They're not ashamed. And God blesses that part of your marriage when you're in Christ. See? And, I, and I, just, I don't know where you guys are in your, in your life, in your relationship. You know, I, I do know this, that, that when you're married, um, you, uh, you see everything about each other, huh? You're like, whoa. <laughs> I didn't know that. You don't, you don't know that until you start getting married. You know, you get married, living together, and the walls begin to go down. I was, I was meeting with a, a premarital couple the other day, and I said, get ready, man, it's hard. <laughs> you know, it's, it's hard, you know. But, but in Christ, it's doable. But you see everything. You see all their flaws. They're naked. They're naked before you. Marriage is, like I said, a perpetual test of character. Um, but what you got to do, man, is, is you got to ask God to be the center of that relationship. And, and so when, when Adam and Eve were first there and they were naked and they saw each other and they weren't ashamed, is because of sinlessness. But now, when we're naked and my wife sees me, she sees all my flaws, 
all the things that are messed up about me and she still loves me. That's, that's graciousness. Want to know why she sees me like that? Because she sees me through the eyes of Jesus. And that's how we should see our spouse. And some of you here, you know, your, your marriage, maybe it's, it's been tough, you know. Don't give up. Don't give up. I beg of you. Don't give up. Remember, the, the very first miracle Jesus ever did was at a wedding. It was for a marriage. And there was a time where they ran out of wine. It was kind of like symbolic in one sense of them running out of joy. Kind of. Because, you know, the wine in those days is symbolic of that, and so they ran out. But then you know what happened? Jesus showed up. And Jesus brought the joy back. That's what he can do if you let him. I'm of the firm conviction, I'm of the firm conviction that if one person in the marriage relationship is willing to do what Jesus calls them to do, then that marriage can be saved. And I just pray that we would all have that heart. My prayer is that single people, you'd be strong. You know what you're getting into? Or have you changed your mind? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> you know, but my prayer is that 1 Corinthians 7, single people, serve the Lord. He's given you that, man, and just find joy in your relationship with him. I'm not saying you can't have a desire to be married, but wait on the Lord, man, wait on the Lord. And you married people, all us married people, uh, you know, maybe you're here and you're like, well, not my husband or not my wife or whatever. You know what? You know, rebuke the devil. <laughs> yeah, God can do anything. He really can. You just have to see each other through his eyes. Uh, I'll close with this story. There was a wife. She was uh, relaying some pretty neat insight into growing older together. And she said this, uh, soon after our last child left home for college, My husband was resting next to me on the couch with his head in my lap. I carefully removed my glasses and I said, you know, honey, I said sweetly, without your glasses, you look like the same handsome young man I married. And then he replied with a grin, honey, without my glasses, you look pretty good too. (laughs) And... And I just realize it's all a matter of perspective, huh? When we look at people through the lenses of the Lord, everything changes. You know, if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, you've never really made that commitment to Christ, you know, that's where it starts. You know, we're not talking about religion. We're not talking about joining a church. What I want to share with you is Jesus. He loved you. He died for you on a cross. He rose again. And today, God wants to give you a new start. He wants to give you a home in heaven. He wants to wash away all your sins. He wants to break the chains. He wants to restore life to you. And the Bible says that all you have to do is believe. As many as received him, the Bible says, to them he gave the right to become children of God. In one sense, and I know this is a little different, But in one sense, what I want to close with today as we have the musicians come forward is this. 
You know, the church is described as the bride of Christ. Did you know that? The church is described as the bride of Christ. And so in one sense, if I could just say this, Jesus is asking you to marry him. So he pops the question. What do you say? If you're willing to say, I do, yes, I will, I'll turn from my sins and I'll trust in Christ, then today you can have life. And I pray that you would, if you don't know the Lord, that today would be that day of salvation.